Welcome to the latest installment of the Sharp Best Ball Show. I'm your host, Todd Burrows, at Best Ball NFL. And our show today is sponsored by Underdog Fantasy and the biggest fantasy football tournament of all time, Best Ball Mania 4. Don't know what Best Ball is? It's simple. You just enter Best Ball Mania on Underdog's slick mobile app, draft your team, and that's it. Yep, it's set and forget it as Underdog optimizes your lineup weekly to create the highest scoring lineup available. It's here. It's Best Ball Mania 4, and it's your shot at a first place prize of $3 million. My, how Best Ball has grown. Get signed up on UnderdogFantasy.com or via the app store with promo code SHARPKIT. And not only will they double your first deposit up to $100, but you'll also receive the Sharp Football Draft Kit for just $1. That includes over 40 exclusive fantasy football articles, which will help your chances at winning the $3 million prize. That's Underdog Fantasy promo code SHARPKIT. You must be 18 plus, 19 plus in Alabama and Nebraska, 21 plus in Massachusetts and Arizona and present in the state where underdog fantasy operates terms apply concerned with your play call 1-800-GAMBLER or visit www.ncpgambling.org in Arizona call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in New York call 1-877-8-HOPE-NY In Tennessee, call 1-800-889-9789. Today, my guest is my old friend wearing the Nirvana shirt. So you could say it's hello, 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 hi-lo. Hi, hi hi-lo. What's up, man? That was a good one. What was that number to the uh, the helpline for? Yeah, the helpline. I think (laughs) I think you're past that. If your wife hasn't killed you yet for all your contests, and um, but Mark and I used to part a partner on a show um, for one week season. Hilo still works with one week season. He has exclusive best ball content of his own that you can check out. He also is writing articles for 33rd uh, team along with Josh Larkey. He is um, also doing funerals for military veterans and probably two or three other jobs that I'm unaware of. The hardest working man in the business, Mark Garcia. Mark, always a pleasure to talk to you. Likewise, man. Yeah, gosh, you make me sound like a true D-Gen over there. No, I, I do... I juggle a lot because I left active duty military so that I could be home with my family and doing juggling all these different things allows me to basically work from home. I'm also a realtor on the side, but that's, uh, I, for- I knew of- I forgot something. No, dude, I knew I forgot of- one of your 11 jobs. <laughs> yeah. It's, it's just a way to be home with my kids, man. Um, and that's kind of what you, it was all about. You're never going to get me to say a bad word about that. And you've got what, 14 of them now? At least, yeah. We can field a, at least a baseball team working on a soccer team. No, we've got to, we've got five, dude. Five. Um, that, yeah. Including my favorite, Ben. Yeah, Benjamin is, uh, dude, he's on his way. He's almost three now, man. 
It's crazy. I'll never forget that time. Uh, I spoke to him in the car and he stopped crying. Yeah, we used to have to. He wouldn't. He wouldn't nap in the in the house, so we. I would have to take him in the car, and we would. We used to do our weekly calls, and I'd be in the car with Ben. Yep, yep, yep. Um, all right. So you know what would really help if I pulled up. Ah, uh, there it is. Okay. I. It, it's always good when you get the the right questions in front of you. Uh, the show sheet, yeah, yeah, I, and I'm looking at it, and I'm like, oh, okay, all right. So, uh, Mark, you know, we're going to do this podcast about DraftKings. I, mm-hmm. I've been honest that I've, you know, I did way more drafts on Underdog than anywhere else. I spend more money on FFPC uh, because of the hundred and twenty-five dollar per uh, entry, and I hadn't played DraftKings because I didn't mix it up. Uh, I feel like they've done some really interesting things, including having a ten a ten dollar milli that, you know, allows you to to max out and try all these things that we love working on uh, for fifteen hundred, and then they give you a credit. So, you know, I, I felt like I need to take this on as a best ball guy. So um, even though you know most of our content here is going to be about underdog and all the great contests over there. I thought I would bring in someone who did play a lot on DraftKings in the past, and we would have a discussion about how it differs. Um, you know, Mark, let's just start with, um, you know, how do you think about DK differently when you're starting the draft? You know, um, explain some of the big differences and and how you come into the draft thinking. Yeah, so I'm actually going to start before you actually enter a draft room and kind of talk about how I handle juggling all these different contests and when do I start entering them? Um, because it is a lot if you're maxing out the the what the three or four major contests that are out every year. And so then, you're saying they're like jobs? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's for like and and in the past I hadn't done I hadn't leveraged slow drafts, so I was fast drafting all 500 plus best ball. This year, I'm leveraging slow drafts a little bit heavier. Um, but when you're talking about like how do you approach these different platforms, one of the major components that you have to put into your decision-making matrix before you even start entering contest is where's the expected value. And the primary contributor to expected value for all of these contests that run a playoff format, so leaving out drafters, um, a lot, the highest contri- contribution to expected value is in week 17. That said, one of the major differences between DraftKings Millionaire Maker and the Best Ball Mania, which they're the, the flagship contest for each of those platforms, is the payout structure itself. You talk about like a min cash or advancing out of your round on underdog and you're barely making your money back for that entry. So that is a very low contribution to expected value. Over on DraftKings, you make time and a half to buy in. So you get back or I I believe actually it's 20 bucks or is it? No, it's 15. So you make time and a half back on your entry. uh, Whereas on underdog, it's you're getting basically your money back for a min cash. And that's advancing out of your draft. Yeah. And and that means if you... If you know if you're really good at this and get a thirty percent, um, you know a thirty percent pass through, 
Mm-hmm. That means that after the first round, you've only made back about 30, 35% of your entry fee, where on DraftKings, you're closer to 50% is what you're saying. Yeah, exactly. So that is a, a, a an expected value is, I think, misunderstood by a lot of people that did not don't have like a statistical background or that came up in poker. Uh, expected value is the value that you can expect to extract per entry if you could simulate this contest infinite. We can't do that. We have the sample size of one. So actual value is going to be very different from expected value. But we can only base our decisions off of expected value because we don't have a crystal ball. We can't see in the future. And we can only tailor our decision-making process to expected value and then hope to realize that through actual value. So we start off with a higher baseline on DraftKings. So that places an an additional emphasis. Now, to be fair, Underdog this year has, um, you know, one-third of its money in regular season prizes, and you could say that's where a lot of that came from, right? Yeah, and they had to – they couldn't flatten out the – payouts so just to be fair you know what you're you know in other words you you get 30 percent versus um 50 after uh 14 weeks but if you hit a prize for the regular season you could well go past the 50 and cover all your um i don't know that that's expected value but, yeah, and I'm not good enough to figure out that percentage and the chance it's that seven, that happens. It's just under eight dollars, basically, um, in expected value per entry on Underdog. So that's our baseline, basically, for drafting on Underdog's BBM. We start off with a baseline expected value just under eight bucks. It's like seven dollars and ninety-four cents per entry on a twenty-five dollar entry. The problem with that is. Only 10,000 of the 677,000 entries are going to realize any of that expected value. And if you think about how top-heavy that already is, we have to assume that those drafts, those rosters that are winning any regular season prize are also advancing and realizing expected value for the playoff round or advancing out of their round. So the calculation isn't exactly one-for-one. The, the biggest picture here is you have a higher baseline for expected value per advance rate um, on DraftKings when compared to Underdog. Um, and, and, and it's also flatter up top, but I, I yeah. want to I want to focus more on how we attack the tournaments. Yeah, um, I, I think you made that point really well. And um, I think it's something that you do need to think about. But. When you sit down to do a draft and you've mm-hmm. done your pre-draft analysis, and I'm, I'm really glad you shared it because that is an important part of doing this whole thing. Um, but when you think, sit down to um, do a DraftKings draft, you know, obviously the two big differences are uh, it's full PPR versus half PPR yeah. and different than both FFPC and underdog, you get bonuses Mm -hmm. uh, for hundred yards, rushing or receiving and um, 300 yards passing. So going into the draft, how does that big picture change the way that you draft? Yeah. And the, the other 
difference is it's 20 round draft uh, comparing it to underdog. Right, it's only right. 18. Absolutely. So we definitely have different things that, that kind of move the, this idea of optimal for us big picture. And this is something that um, you highlighted in your most recent work um, over at sharp. The fact that ADPs are relatively stagnant across platforms with the major outlier being FFPC with their tight end premium scoring. So if that's the case, there's definitely targets that you are looking to target on one platform versus another. There's definitely the, the rankings. And again, this is median projection, which, which is what drives rankings. But the rankings are going to be different on various platforms per their scoring. Yet we're seeing ADP being more or less kind of stagnant across the industry. That was, that was a shock to me when I went to do my article today. I yeah. mean, I had a feeling it was going to be, you know, I, I'm not blind. I play on all three sites, but it, it was just kind of rubbing at the back of my mind. Hey, I'm not really seeing differences here. And it opens up opportunities, which led to me wanting to do the article. Yeah, for sure. And the, the other, I think, primary thing that we have to add into that decision-making matrix when we sit down for a draft is the fact that we have those 20 rounds to play with. And we have... Also, in per the governing rules of the contest, the finals round, which is where most of the expected value comes from, is almost or I guess a, right about three times as many people. So at that point, we're now talking about a large field single entry GPP style DFS contest compared to underdog, where it would be more akin to a like a high dollar single entry. Um, so we're talking about like on DraftKings, it would be similar to the spy where it's the hundred dollars single entry, but it's a, a fairly large field, um, compared to on underdog, we're playing what would be like the, uh, whatever the thousand dollar buy-in is called. I can't think of it off the top of my head, but, um, so the field sizes definitely play a role into roster construction decisions into how we're leveraging week 17 correlation, um, all the things that we kind of have learned over the previous three years to approach this fleeting term of optimal, uh, which is not going to be proven for another 200 years of best ball because the sample size per each season is one. So we have a grand total of three iterations of this to kind of make these sweeping conclusions. But yeah, I'm looking to... I'm looking to pay a lot more attention to robust week 17 correlations on DraftKings because we have that additional room. I'm looking for those discrepancies in ADP, what, which is the, I guess, difference between a median projection versus where their ADP is. Um, and I'm looking to basically not waste those two additional picks that we get and really, really trying to with those final two picks play a lot into that week 17 correlation where every pick in that range is not necessarily like a blind shot in the dark, but it is a um, lower percentage probability chance of hitting. So if we include those picks into our week 17 correlations, our game stacks, it lowers the amount of variables that have to go right for that player to hit. Yeah. And that's one of the old jam to win you know, DFS things. And, you know, I talk about how in my article, how this playing different people on different sites so that you mix your exposure. 
um, A, it's smart because you're getting the best value on each site. And B, it is, you know, it, it's, um, it's a way to protect yourself against injury. Um, and, you know, so really paying attention to ADP. You mentioned the fact that there's 1,364 teams. I mean, that's double last year's underdog final, uh, yeah. almost triple. And I think it's double this year's final. Um, so for, for me, correlation week 17 becomes crucial because you've got two 12 week playoffs to get, you know, um, I think it's, is it one of 12 or two of 12? It's one, it's of, one 12. of 12 across the board. Yeah. yeah. But still that's eight. You have an eight and a half, each team that, that makes it through has an eight and a half percent chance of advancing you know, and that's a big difference versus 16 on underdog. So, um, um, but then you get 1300 teams in the final. So all the more, I am not really focusing on correlating week 15, 16. If it happens, great. Um, I use the spike week overlay and I'm doing a lot more slow drafts. I just, it, it, I just can't keep taking 45 minutes out of my life. Yeah. Um, you know, I'd rather two, two, three times a day sit down and knock out 15 or 20 slows uh, picks. Um, I, I'm doing 35 at a, and then 10 DraftKings. I'm doing like 45 slows right now. And, um, you know, it's a way to manage your ability to do things. But I'm digressing because, um, you know, so with DraftKings, it's easier to get to the final, but it's harder to separate in the final does that change your outlook on week 17 and does it really take week 16 and 15 out of the equation for you for me personally my decisions are based on the expected value and where it lies and if you look at both of these contests the primary contributors to expected value are week 17 and advance rate weeks 15 and 16 are almost negligible to the expected value puzzle. So it's to me, it's almost like those weeks don't exist. And I understand you have to get teams to week 17 to realize that expected value. But for me, it's I'll let variance kind of take the wheel at that point. I want as many unique rosters through to realize some expected value to give me that baseline. And now it's I am fully optimizing for week 17 and that is on any platform that has a playoff type structure. Yeah, I'm. I uh, last year I really felt like week sixteen was important, um, and I think that it's it you know because especially when you're doing lives, when you're on the uh, and you've got thirty seconds to make a pick, even with an overlay, it's really hard. And a lot of times I'll I'll have it narrowed down and done my studying before I'm on the clock. But even still, you know, we talk about, you know, having less things to get right. Having less things to think about when you're on the clock is also important. So I think you and I are on the same page there. Um, how much more or less likely are you to try and do a unique build on DK? And what are your favorite builds? So, yeah, go ahead. I think you get that. 
Yeah, um, I'm probably more likely to do unique builds on DraftKings because I feel like the field it just views those additional two picks as an excuse to draft an additional quarterback, as an excuse to draft an additional tight end, um, or beef up a running back position. If you look at expected value on these unique builds, you can approach optimal theory, which for underdog, we'll, we'll talk DraftKings, which for, for DraftKings is still two to three quarterbacks, two to three tight ends, and then basically the, the even spread um, five to seven or six to eight even running backs, and then seven to nine wide receivers. That's kind of those, those guidelines that I think you call them. Um, the field is likely in unique builds to bolster the positions that they were short on over the first 10 to 12 rounds. So for zero running back builds, they're likely to invest heavier in those shot in the dark um, variants late in running backs. Um, and for teams that basically go like, it's not really a thing, but they just neglected quarterbacks early. They're likely to leave the draft with four. Um, and this is just human psychology field tendencies. So I'm much likelier to not do that. And whether that is optimal, we don't really know, but I'm just utilizing a little bit of game theory and say, well, if the field is doing this, I'm still going to leave a zero running back draft on DraftKings with five or six running backs and not hit seven or eight. Um, because I just think that the there can be an edge there gained from the fact that the expected points, so the medium projection um, in based on where a player is taken in the draft. Obviously there's been a lot of people that have done work in that. Hayden Winks has done a lot of work in that. Michael Leone has done a lot, done a lot of work with that. Um, projecting median projections versus ADP or round that a player has taken. Um, running backs and wide receivers, running backs fall off a cliff much quicker because there's fewer of them. The problem with just comparing apples to apples is it's not really apples to apples because the value of running back is so heavily tied to the contingency value of injuries and then the expected volume that they get from that. So all that to say, the field kind of views it as this even playing field where the fact of the matter is median projections are higher on late round wide receivers than they are on late round running backs. And they're even higher on late round tight ends. Um, so all of that kind of goes into my decision-making process in a draft. I'm much more likely to continue to bolster the wide receiver position, um, late than I am the running backs or uh, taking an additional quarterback or tight end, uh, because the, those two positions, the, the onesie positions, the quarterbacks and tight ends have very, very low contingency factor. So that kind of takes away the appeal of late round running backs. Um, as a comparison. And then they have a very, very steep drop off in median projections once you start getting into tier five and six guys. So for me, I'll let the field kind of a, approach roster construction with those additional spots, um, how I would term suboptimally. And I think I've identified an edge where zero running back teams still my kind of my max is, is six running backs. Um, late wait for quarterbacks. Still, my max is three quarterbacks. I'm never really going to take four. Um, same thing, tight end. Wait for tight end rosters. I'm still only going to take 
three tight ends there. And that gives me the ability to leverage the discrepancy in median projections in the later rounds. Gotcha. So, I mean, for me, you know, I am trying to balance my position groups. I, I think that's important. Um, you know, and so if I'm doing a zero running back build, I am going to have seven, eight, maybe even nine if I, you know, if I feel I need it. Um, but once I get past, let's say the 12th, 13th round, you know, I'm looking at stacking more correlations, unique players, um, different things to give me an edge. But <clears throat> I, 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 you know, I've seen too many times where, you know, a couple years ago, if you didn't have 16th round Rashad Penny, you know, during the playoff weeks, you weren't winning any money. So I, I do think that, you know, I, I, I like having the guardrails uh, that you talk about. And I, I, um, I'm more likely to be vanilla in that way because I feel like I can outbuild the average guy, right? Yeah. I, don't, I don't need, even though I need a, on DraftKings, and, and that's why I like FFPC because I don't need a half of a percent outcome, you know, to get a lot of money. Uh, but on underdog and on DK, I have the ability to win more money, which I also like. Yeah. So <laughs> I, I, I feel like what that gives me is I feel like my knowledge of how to do best ball is like leaning my weight on someone, you know, like if you've ever played basketball, you know, if you're, if you're my size, you know, you might lean on someone, a, a shooter early in the game and it doesn't matter. But late in the game, if he's been dragging your fat, you know what, up and down the court all day, he tires. So I feel like my overall knowledge of my builds and my players is better. Um, so I don't do that. Um, one interesting thing I thought of when I was writing my article for this week on how to handle running back differently for each site and who is the value um, is that I, you know, the opportunity cost on underdog and FFPC with first round running backs um, with the wide receivers just being so crazy priced, especially on underdog, I have a hard time drafting McCaffrey and Bijan. But DraftKings, would you agree that the elite running backs have a bigger place because they give you the opportunity to hit two bonuses each week because you know those first the guys who are in that the first four or five running backs off the board all bring both running and pass receiving chops does that play into how you look at drafting early it does not and the reason is those should be the, that range of outcomes should be built into projections and I personally am developing a range of outcomes projections, and I know they are available in other spots. I think um, I forget where I've seen them, but range of outcomes projections help you visualize uh, a an array of values. And I think the 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 field is getting better at not thinking of a very dynamic and and game that has a lot of variance, such as football. Um, through the terms of a single data point, which is projections, which are median projections. If we 
are able to visualize the range of outcomes and visualize, you know, if we could play out this season infinitely where players ranges of outcomes different, or I guess vary, we're able to have that, the fact that there are only a certain amount of players that can hit double bonuses or hit bonuses regularly built into that idea. And so for me, visualizing range of outcomes helps to have that in my box of tools already and not have to force exposure to, and I, I'm in agreement with you and Bijan and, and CMC in particular, um, I have as the RB2 and RB3. So when I have a guy, Austin Eckler, who's my RB1, it's much easier for me to build natural overweight exposure to a guy like him in the first round that's going towards the end of the first round um, and be underweight on guys whose season-long range of outcomes does not match where they're going. I'm forcing exposure, that said, to those two players and I'm trying to do so Bijan on underdog because his play style more naturally matches the scoring format and CMC on DraftKings for the same reason, because see, they're, I, I got to interrupt. Why would, I, I mean, Bijan has all these pass game chops. Why yeah. But are you... they going to pass? <laughs> well, that's the million dollar question. But, <laughs> yeah. Um, but I, I do think that, you know, when you're talking range of outcomes, I think Bijan has a, a legitimate range of outcomes where he catches 70 passes. I think that's viable. And in order to for Bijan to, and again, speaking to a, a an entire season outcome, in order for Bijan to pay off his ADP, he has to have a rookie season Saquon Barkley year. Like that, that, that is paying off his ADP. So the fact that he's a rookie, the fact that he's on an offense that, has Tyler Algier where he could be involved. Um, you know, look at when Saquon was drafted and they, they had nobody on the roster behind Saquon. It was like, we were throwing all of our eggs into his basket. Not necessarily the case for Atlanta. They have guys who can come in and be change of pace backs. Um, so that's notwithstanding that discussion. I'm trying to get more exposure to Bijan on underdog because the, touchdown expectancies a little bit higher and touchdowns are actually less important on DraftKings being full PPR and being the uh, having the bonuses thrown in. So that is kind of what goes into that equation for me. Um, and then CMC basically flipped that because of the pass catching chops and he's a little bit more established role and it's been proven all that stuff, but closing the loop on that discussion, the fact that I'm, Basically, I'm, I don't want to like say bearish on those two guys, but the fact that their ranges of outcomes do not necessarily align with their ADP for the entire season, the counterpoint to that is that they have elite single, single week expectations or ranges of outcomes. They have some of the higher ceilings per week um, than any other running back in the league. So that is highly important for when we start getting to the playoff rounds where you can mask the fact that their season long expectation, or they didn't match their season long expectation per ADP through roster construction, through all these other tools that we have by playing best ball. 
And now you have a player with potentially a lower pass-through rate um, that still has elite ceiling for the playoff round. So I'm forcing some for those reasons, and that's where I'm doing it for those individual guys. Gotcha. Yeah, I, you know, I, it just occurred to me. One other thing that kind of occurred to me as I studied my article uh, on the various running backs is um, if, you know, we talked, you talked about this already. Um, guys, if one guy's on the eighth, is the eighth running back on one site, he's not the 12th running back on another site. He might be the 10th or the ninth. Um, you really have a tight range, um, you know, of guys so that it really does, you know, like a Damian Pierce, you know, going in the yeah. sixth round on, on underdog. I, I, I really like him. I think he's a talented guy. There's a case to be made that that that's a better offense this year. Right. On DraftKings, where he's very unlikely to catch a lot of passes, I am not as interested. Who are some of the guys that you're more interested in at the running back position on um, DraftKings and, 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 and why? Yeah, guys like Rashad White, guys like uh, Antonio Gibson, um, guys that have already an established role in their offense and they're they're like they're like pass catching specialist plus so like we would expect Rashad White is going to get his 12 to 15 maybe even carries per game uh, a guy like Antonio Gibson might be in the 8 to 10 carry per game but their expectation is inflated due to their pass game work so it's not like I'm targeting only pass catching backs and it's not like I'm jumping multiple tiers to secure pass catching guys. I'm targeting guys that have what I call like a pass catching plus role, change of place, change of pace role plus pass catching role. Um, so those are two primary examples on a, a site like underdog. And I know this is DraftKings centric, but on a site like underdog where pretty much around the industry, you see, um, backfield tandems have their ADPs converging. So the two primary examples are Denver and Washington, where Antonio Gibson and Brian Robinson. And Buffalo. And Buffalo, yeah. Buffalo's um, my favorite stack cuff this year. Yeah, so on those three backfields, we'll say, they their ADPs of the two primary players are converging. And it didn't start that way. So like on underdog early, I was targeting... Antonio Gibson fairly heavily. And I had almost zero Brian Robinson. Now that they are within a round of each other in ADP, my stance is completely flipped. I have drafted almost zero Antonio Gibson over the last two or three weeks. And I'm really, really bolstering Brian Robinson. Um, same thing for Buffalo where Damian Harris is creeping up. There's a larger ADP spread in that example um, compared to um Oh God, what was the other example I gave? Washington and, yes. and <laughs> now I'm drawing a blank, whatever. Oh, the other, man. oh, um, oh Jesus, that's gone. It's gone forever, man. No, um, it's not. I'm going to find it. <laughs> it's, it's, I heard you. Oh, Denver, Denver. Denver, yes. Denver. And, so, and see, for me, you know, a couple months ago, a couple months, a couple, when, when this whole thing started post-draft, mm -hmm. I was so in on Samaj P. Ryan, especially yep. in full PPR, yep. right? 
you know, he was going 11th, 12th round, and now he's getting closer to Javante Williams. And, exactly. and what makes no sense, and, you know, ADP tends to overall be very intelligent, but not till the end, of, not till after training camp, I find. Mm-hmm. Because now there's a lot more projecting, you know what I mean, of what the role will be. Once camp starts, we start getting less subjective information and more uh, fact-based observation. You know, so-and-so is running first. So-and-so is running second. You know, and, you know, I, I feel like the news on Javante Williams has actually been pretty positive. I, you know, in early best ball, he was sixth, seventh round. Now, uh, mid-ninth, you know, I yeah. certainly am willing to consider him uh, a guy to mix in. Yeah, so to theoretically tie all that together, the fact that ADPs are relatively stagnant across multiple platforms and the fact that we have these situations with converging ADPs I'm able to pick and choose where I draft and when I draft. So we have to consider our entire portfolio when we're doing this. It's, it's much bigger than the lens of like one individual draft on one particular site because right. I break up my, I call the entire time that we can draft these contests. I call that my draft cycle. I break up that entire draft cycle into individual draft windows that are married to something that you brought up in news cycles. So for me, I break up my overall draft cycle into draft window one, which is after the NFL draft um, into the beginning of preseason camp. So I kind of disregard all this nebulous reporting that comes out in OTAs. My second draft window is from the start of preseason camp to the start of the preseason And my third draft window is preseason to the start of the regular season. Correct. And then I strategies are different for all three. Yeah. So then I I look at like the overall landscape of the different platforms and DraftKings is notoriously, we'll say softer, but it's notoriously not as cutthroat as FFPC and as underdog. So because the variance and the ADPs also change in those varying draft windows. I attack underdog heavily right after, like right when the contest opened, I think I hit 52 BBMs within the first three or four days that that contest was open. And since then I've sat on my hands and I've been just playing. If I'm playing on underdog, it's all these snapshot contests, the puppy, the right. uh, Pomeranians, Poodle. whatever. Yeah. The poodles, all those that, I'll, I'll love max. all those, love all yeah. those little contests that I, yeah. I love. I love being able to with you know. I don't. I mean, I'm already spending an ungodly amount of money on fantasy football. Yeah, and I any chance I get to do 50 drafts for 250 bucks, you know, in, in a in a two week period. And what I also like doing is I like doing those mostly slow because mm-hmm. everyone else, here's an advanced kind of way to look at it. Everyone doing fast drafts is getting a snapshot of ADP within, I mean, the puppy closes within a week normally, 10 days. Yeah. If you do slows, you know, after 10 days, you might be in the sixth round. 
right? Uh, at least, you know, if you do 50 drafts, I, I bet, you know, a, a good 20% of them are still in single digits, if not more. I feel like you get a, a, a different advantage in trying to differentiate the market. Yeah, and the edge of doing that, I talk about the Puppy 1. The Puppy 1 released prior to um, the, the NFL schedule release. So how were people, and there's ways that I was trying to target divisions and try and correlate for week 17, but that contest filled, or I, I guess that contest approached about 80% full, like one or two days after the NFL schedule was released. So I drafted like, 23 i think puppy ones prior to the nfl schedule released and then i <laughs> late reg max entered 127 slow drafts um when the contest was 80 percent full because now you have access to all this additional information that the rest of the field didn't um and so i think at one time i had 167 slow drafts on the underdog going 127 That's insane 127 puppies and then 20 uh, poodles and 20 poodle twos that were all going at the same time. And some of those now are finishing to where I'm starting to get a little, Yeah, I still got, I, I still got poodles and puppies. Yeah. The original puppy. Um, let yeah. me ask you. Well, hold on. Thing. I got one more point to sure, close sure. up that. Uh, so in knowing that, and in breaking up the draft window, the draft cycle into individual windows. Now I know that I can, that I'm taking my pause on underdog now I go and hit DraftKings hard. So now I'm starting to ramp up my DraftKings drafting because the variance versus ADP versus skill level that is on DraftKings is different than it is on underdog. So I wanted maximum exposure to variance early on underdog because my general observation of the field was the field was drafting when the contest opened as if it were in August. So I wanted to leverage that variance and take some unique approaches on underdog. Whereas on DraftKings, it's a lot more flat. The, you don't see as many extremes. So now I can take my play over to DraftKings where I'm taking this like pause. And for the next four weeks until the start of camp, I can start hammering those edges on DraftKings where I feel like the field is a lot slower to react to um, major news to uh, general roster construction to optimal theory to all these things um, because they have access to a much larger player pool of DFS players because they were an established DFS platform. Any two down pounder. So with DraftKings, right, it's, it's really an interesting thing, right? So the two down pounders are more valuable on underdog, mm -hmm. right? Cause it's half PPR, but the two down pounders who get a lot of volume also have a very good, like a Derrick Henry, you know, he he's in line for that hundred point bonus almost every week. Who are some of your favorite two down guys on DraftKings where you normally wouldn't think to start, um, you know, to, to take two down guys but um, so like I'm less likely to take a Brian Robinson on DraftKings, mm -hmm. um, but I'm happy to take him on underdog where, uh, you know, a guy like Damian Pierce, as who I mentioned, um, you know, I think he, he becomes interesting on DraftKings possibly, even though I said something earlier. 
Yeah, it's the guys that can pierce the bonus and score touchdowns. So, like, last season would have been – I wasn't on him at all, but, like, Jamal Williams, obviously, he was never in threatening the bonus, but he was getting in the end zone because the <laughs> the Lions made it their goal in life to get tackled at the one-yard line and just provide him with all these touchdowns. But those guys that have – I was 20-plus percent on him last year. I missed hard. I missed and hard. I, well – I've gotten that situation right two years in a row. The year before, I was heavy swift in the early fourth, and I was passing on Jamal Williams in the 11th. Mm-hmm. And last year, I mean, it was like swift was early second. Jamal Williams was like 16th round. Yeah. Um, I mean, to me, he was, you know, half PPR. He was uh, he, he was like a tw- almost a 25-point uh, percent guy for me. Yeah, so – that's basically what I'm looking for is I'm looking for guys that can threaten the hundred yard bonus. And I'm looking for guys that can score touchdowns. So Brian Robinson does fit that mold for me. I would have no problem targeting him on DraftKings, And again, that goes into a lot of the discussion that we already had um, as well. Cam Akers, it's basically Cam Akers and nobody else behind him. He's a guy that I've been targeting on both platforms for that touchdown equity. Um, other guys like the Miami backfield, I I'm want very the- low on him, and I was just looking at it today saying I'm 3% on him, and that's too low. Cam Akers? Yeah. Oh, dude. I uh, Yeah. I think I'm 35% through my first 250 drafts. <laughs> I, uh, went, I went large. I, I don't – you know, I've been hitting that range where he goes for quarterback. My, You know, if, a, if one of the mid-tier guys slips or – you know, like Dak and Watson when back when Dak was going that early. Um, and 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 the, the wide receivers really fall off after like the 10th, 11th round. So I yeah. feel like, you know, a guy, you know, but I do like Akers. I think it's a mistake. I want to get to a couple other of these questions before yeah. we run out of time. Um, quarterback is an interesting discussion as it relates to running quarterbacks who in general are less likely to hit the 300 yard bonus. But if they're really talented, they do give you the chance to get the hundred yard bonus with their legs. Um, How is your quarterback strategy different on DraftKings from underdog? Almost not at all. And I'll tell you why I did a study this off season for a 33rd team that wanted to find out the importance of touchdowns to each position in fantasy. And what I found was touchdowns, regardless of whether they come via pass or via on the ground, uh, were most correlated to fantasy production at the quarterback position. So the, the overall like importance of season long projections and individuals. Yeah, Cause even the, I'm sorry to interrupt, but cause even though they're four points in, instead of six, they get three or four of them, you know, uh, they can get three or four of them on a regular basis. So you throw for three touchdowns, that's 12 points. That's a lot less unusual than a running back or wide receiver getting two to get you those same 12 points. Yeah. I mean, let's compare 2021 Matthew Stafford through for 41 touchdowns to 2022 Justin Fields they ended the season about the same fantasy production in those respective years. And Matthew Stafford is statuesque. He's not running. He's not mobile at all. He's not scoring rushing touchdowns. So it almost doesn't matter where the touchdowns are coming from. 
but we need to be scoring touchdowns at the quarterback position. And so that kind of dictates my overall governing strategy at the quarterback position, targeting offenses that we expect to score more touchdowns than last year. I mentioned one of them, Matthew Stafford, Russell Wilson, um, Tua Tagbailoa, these guys that are being basically withheld from, or their ADPs are being suppressed because of uncertainty, because of recency bias, because of all these things, um, like the psychology that goes into clicking a button, yet they're expected to score touchdowns. And that's kind of who, what governs who I'm targeting at quarterback this year. So obviously the, the elite five, I'll call them the elite six, maybe uh, quarterbacks are elite, not because they have rushing, not because of this and that they're elite because they score touchdowns. So it's like, it's Patrick Mahomes, it's Jalen hurts. It's um, it's uh, God, Joe Burrow, it's Justin Herbert. Um, and then Josh Allen, that's, uh, and then maybe Lamar Jackson, like those are the quarterbacks that have the elite touchdown potential. And then after that, we start breaking them down into tiers and that like middle tier of like, you mentioned Dak Prescott. He's probably in that nebulous range for me personally, because of the fact that potentially his touchdown rate decreases this year. Whereas a guy like multiple, multiple Although they, uh, at least as of now, Zeke Elliott isn't there, yeah. which would lead you to believe that they're going to have to score touchdowns on the, through the air more in the red zone. Yeah. So that's probably a, uh, a nod for me personally to their expected offensive efficiency, their drive success rate, the, their offenses efficiency metrics. Um, another thing that came out of my study in touchdowns is Basically across the board, whether it's wide receivers, running backs, quarterbacks, tight ends, 80% plus of the touchdowns that are scored in the NFL are scored within the red zone. So yes, wide receivers are the player most likely to provide those outliers scoring from deeper parts of the field. So we have to weigh like an offense's expected efficiency and ability to sustain drives to get into the red zone to score touchdowns. So that's probably where my calling singling out Dak came from there. Um, I was trying, probably wasn't the perfect example, but I wanted to highlight the discrepancy in ADP from guys like, like we talked about uh, Russ Wilson, um, Matthew Stafford is egregious right now um, versus the guys in that kind of sub tier three quarterback range. Yeah. For me, I am much more willing to go three quarterbacks late. Right. Yeah. Um, and they can be statues because if I have three shots at the $300 bonus each week, I have a really good chance of getting that. Mm-hmm. Right. And, you know, I, I am e- even, you know, it's weird to me that wide receivers are more valuable on underdog than DraftKings from a ADP perspective. But, but wide receivers, because of that ability to get, the, you know, the elite guys to get that 100-yard bonus, um, I'm much more likely to take wide receivers early than I am on underdog. Um, although I think you have to be, you know, you have to play the game uh, with both right now. Um, thoughts on that? Yeah, I think that 
I think theoretically there's probably a lot more layers that go into that because of the fact that ADP is static. If, if ADP were dynamic per platform right now, I would be much more willing to buy into that from a theoretical perspective because of the ADP difference. But the fact that there's not one right now, really, it kind of is just like you can do a lot of the same things that you're doing on, on underdog on DraftKings, with a major difference being basically the expanded rosters to 20. Yeah. So, I mean, all right. So right before we get to that question though, real quick, elite tight end, are you more likely to go elite tight end on DraftKings? I am. I'm more likely and I'm more likely to double up early. Interesting. Yeah. That, cause that definitely will differentiate you. I, I think elite tight ends because there's only a few guys who can get you that hundred yard bonus. Um, I think that elite tight ends and I'm, I'm much more willing to, you know, to me, tight end, the onesie positions are a little bit of a seesaw. I find that if you take both, the seesaw ends up being flat and, uh, you know, you don't want that. You know, so I tend to have it more like a seesaw where I'm either taking my real early quarterback or my real early tight end. Once in a while, I'll do both, especially to make a stack. Um, but I, again, with the ability to take three late quarterbacks and have it add up to th- what these elite quarterbacks give you on underdog. The other thing to consider is because it's half PPR, quarterback scoring is a bigger part of the total. So to separate with one of the top guys is important. So you are, we both agree on elite tight end. And um, last thing, I know you've touched on it a little bit, but I, I think people don't really make enough out of rounds 19 and 20. Uh Um, as far as try, you know, I, I look at it as yes, it, it is a place where you can patch weak parts of your team, but it's also a place where you can hit, go for home runs, you know, semi-retired player. Like I'm not doing that with Brady and Gronk this year, but I did it last year. (laughs) Yeah. And and then, (laughs) and then Brady came back right with early best ball. Uh, I, I, I think that, you know, and then, you know, I will go way down the list looking for a correlation in the 19, I'm, you know, I'm not taking the guys who are in the 19th, 20 round, 18th, 19th, 20th round tend to be there for a reason, right? Uh-huh. They're lacking sincere opportunity. Um, so all the more I'm looking for a young, talented player who has a correlation, you know, a guy like uh, Puka, is it Nasua? Yeah. You know, um, your thoughts on how to handle those last two rounds. I'm primarily targeting Z-type wide receivers with an inflated A-dot, and I'm primarily trying to target ambiguity and unknown. Say that again. I'm primarily trying to target Z-type wide receivers, so the wide receivers that are fast with high A-dots, these guys that are used as as field stretchers, as safety manipulators. Um, I mean – Guys that jump out off the page. Van Jefferson was available in the 18th round on underdog to start the season was hammering him. Um, Darius Slayton is currently still going in that range. And I'd expect him to at least start the season in that role. Hoping for that long touchdown. When you yeah. 
Yeah. So the guys, and I would, I'm weighing the week 17 correlation heavier in that, not heavier, but I'm trying to add that into the decision process for those late picks. So I'm not just like taking blind stabs at guys. And if they work out, they, they great. And if they don't fine, I, they're people just view those picks as like a, um, uh, like luxury picks. It's like make them or, work or, or just as a way to differentiate for the sake of differentiating. Yeah. And, and, and to me, you know, thinking that you've differentiated your lineup enough because your eight, your 19th round pick is somebody who nobody is drafting. I think is if that thought even enters your mind, I think you're missing the larger points of what it takes to be a good best ball player. I'm not yeah. saying you never take guys like that, but I if if it's a guy that is going undrafted in a lot of the drafts, I'm only going to take him if a I think he's a talented young player who if he gets the opportunity could do something with it and he's correlated, right? So I'm I'm therefore giving myself three or four different shots at getting something out of a guy who the field thinks isn't going to be anything or he wouldn't be going, uh, he wouldn't not be getting drafted all the time, Mark. Yeah. And if you like break down the round that a player is drafted and marry it with their total number of expected usable weeks, the number for rounds 19 and 20 guys is like one to three usable weeks. I'm spreading exposure via game environment in how I attack those rounds to lower the number of variables that have to go right in order for one of those spike weeks to happen in week 15 or 16 or 17, where it matters the most. And that's where I think the field is just basically rolling the dice and they're putting all their money on snake eyes at the craps table and saying, I'm taking one in 30, uh, one to 30 or 30 to one odds on this one roll. It's like, well, you can do things to lower those variables and bring it down closer to getting the odds for, say, a, a double eight or a double four, sorry, uh, a, a hard eight um, to where like you're lowering the variables that have to go right for that particular dice roll um, in order to get the usable weeks when they matter the most. And approaching it in that way is very different from a cumulative points league like on drafters where the 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 shotgun approach to hitting a a outlier performer is much more pertinent than it is to a playoff contest where you need a five percent outcome over the sample size of one week and lowering those variables similar to like a dfs strategy and attacking it through a game environment or a game stack or a team stack it just lowers the number of things that have to go right for your roster to find success. I agree. That's going to do it for this episode. I want to send thank our friends over at Underdog Fantasy. Um, we've talked about the puppy. Um, I think it's about 40, 45% the recent puppy full. Um, so I'm, I'm going to have to add more of those. Mark, thank you so much for coming on. And we will see you folks next week. Check out Mark on one of his 18 jobs. Thank you, folks. <laughs> Thanks.